Good morning, friends, uh, and welcome to the worship of Christ. We invite you to gather around the Word of God today as we always do. Um, we're working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and for several weeks we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. And today our study of Scripture brings us to a well-known uh, section of Scripture. In fact, this might be the most often quoted section of Scripture by non-Christians. Jesus is going to spend some time today teaching from the Sermon on the Mount about how to treat other people. And the first thing that Jesus is going to start teaching, and we're going to really, the next two weeks, be, be focused on the sections of the Sermon on the Mount that discuss how we treat others. And the, and the first thing that Jesus says in this section about how we treat others is this, judge not lest ye be judged. You heard that section before. It's probably uh, the most often quoted verse of Scripture by non-Christians. Maybe it's the most misunderstood verse in all the Bible. Who knows? Um, these words deal with our critical nature. I don't know if you know this, but, but people are naturally critical. And the more you stand out, maybe the more you lead, the more people are going to be critical of you. And, and I don't know if any of you are in leadership positions in your life or, or, or maybe one time were, and maybe you've experienced this, the nature of other people to be critical like, if you're, if you're one of those people and the buck stops with you, that means that everybody else has someone to blame. Criticism, is, it's just a part of, of any public ministry. If you're going to stand up and lead, whether, whether you're leading music or, or standing up to preach, uh, criticism is going to come to you. It, it doesn't matter how good you are or how true you are or how righteous you are. Because remember, criticism came to Moses. Criticism came to Peter. It, 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 criticism even came to Jesus. Richard DeHaan wrote a book called Men Sent from God. And in that book, he gave a lot of reasons why you should never be a pastor. Okay? It's a good advice. He, he wrote, uh, if a pastor is too young, he's called inexperienced. If he has gray hair, well, now he can't relate to the young people. If he has six children, he's reckless. If he has no children, he's a poor example. If he drives an old car, he shames the congregation. And if he drives a nice car, he's overpaid. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Uh, you, don't have, you, know, you don't have to be in leadership to have people be critical of you. I'm sure several of you have experienced others being critical of you. And, and this also is not a sermon about being nice to preachers, although I think you should. This is a sermon, however about our judgmental and our critical spirits, and we all have them. We have these tendencies to pick things and pick people apart. And, and I think this is the kind of behavior that Jesus is speaking negatively about today in our text. So let me ask you a question. Do you have a critical spirit? And is it wrong for Christians to have a critical spirit? And what exactly does Jesus mean when he says, judge not lest ye be judged? Can you, can you ever make judgments about other people? Is it always wrong? I used to play uh, pickup basketball when I was a little bit younger. I never played basketball like organized in school. I played tennis. I wrestled. I played a little baseball uh, but never played you know, kind of organized basketball for some really obvious reasons that I don't want to go into. But But kind of when you get older, you're in your late 20s, early 30s, it's hard to, to kind of get a, a pickup wrestling match. They just don't come together real well. 
And you're not playing a lot. I mean, and, and I, I had got to where I didn't like playing pickup tennis anymore because uh, I just wasn't as good as I used to be. So I'd go out and play tennis, and I would just be mad all the time. I'd just be like, ah, oh, I used to be so good, and I'm not now. Um, but I, I started playing basketball. I really started enjoying it, so I played a lot. And I played a lot in, in grad school in Princeton, and, and, and you know, they had a gym there. It was unair-conditioned. We'd play until we just sweated out. And, and I moved back to Lubbock and was looking to find a pickup game. And I, I played like two, three nights a week for three years and just wanted to find a game. That was something I really enjoyed. And so I heard there was a game at a local church, and I went out to that church. And uh, lo and behold, they, they had me matched up uh, in, in the game there. I, I didn't know any of the people. I kind of walked in, introduced myself as a, as a pastor and said, you know, I know that, that there's a, a local game here. And, and they said, yeah, a lot of good players. In fact, some of the Texas Tech, you know, football players and, and ex-football players come up, and I found myself guarding the defensive lineman at Texas Tech. The guy was 6'5", he was 290 pounds, and I know what you think, that seems appropriate to you, right? Uh, like, it's like David versus Goliath, right? And, uh, and so right, right as the game started, um, the guy had shook my hand, he didn't really look at me or give me much, like, kind of attention, and right as he started, the gentleman went into the paint, which is right under the basket, and, uh, and they passed him the ball. And my thought to myself was this. Hold your ground, arms straight up in the air. Don't foul. And this guy put his shoulder square into my chest. He knocked me 10 feet in the air. I've never been hit that hard in my life. Now, once again, I just thought to myself, this is a church pickup game. And I thought in that moment, I thought maybe that kind of violence and aggression was a mistake. Maybe he... Maybe he lost perspective of where I was, and he lost perspective of where he was. And I played a lot of basketball. I knew I know what kind of the appropriate physical contact was. So I, I dusted myself off. I did not say anything. And I went down on the very next possession. This time I took a very defensive, uh, hesitant defensive posture. I wasn't going to stay in my ground and lift my arms up. They throw the ball right back to this guy. And right away, I start backpedaling as fast as I can. I'm no dummy. I'm not going to stand in here. And still, somehow, as, as I'm moving back as fast as I can, this guy figures out a way to sprint towards me. He, gets up, he catches up with me, even though I'm pedaling backwards, and very intentionally again lays me onto the floor. And at this point, I began to realize that it, it was very obvious having played a lot of basketball over the last you know, five or six years, that this was not accidental contact, if you know what I mean. I was very familiar with normal contact. This was something else altogether. Uh, and I looked up and he was laughing with his friends. And I, and I knew right away that it was time for me to leave. You know, it was one of those situations. So, so it was mid-game and I, and I grabbed my stuff and I headed for the door. And the big guy turns to me and says, uh, where are you going? And I said, man, I, I'm going to take off. I, I can't take shots like that all day. And he said something about my manhood, and I agreed. Yes, you know, in that moment, there's not much you can say, right? Uh, and and, and I basically, I said to him, I said, guys, I just, you know, I came here to get a little, little exercise, and I thought this being a church and all, there would be a little Christian charity in the way that we approach competition. And the guy turns to me and he says, uh, I don't know if you've heard, buddy, but the Bible says you shouldn't judge others. What do you think of that idea? Have you ever heard anyone say that before? You know, this, this idea is like, judge not, who are you, but I don't judge me. It's a, it's a secular world's favorite comeback to the teachings of Christian morality. I mean, what if you're standing in line at Wendy's and someone comes over and slaps your mother? 
Do you say, well, I'm not going to judge. Maybe he's had a bad day. Who can say if this is a good guy or not? You see, the word judge, is a, it, it's a pretty complicated idea. First, it, it, it can encompass the idea of being critical of others, like we talked about, nitpicking their flaws, you know? Second, judging can also be understood to be this exercising of discernment about the character of others or, or about situations, right? And still judging could be, and kind of maybe third, judging could be understood as determining the guilt or innocence of someone else. So actually, when you think about this text, trying to figure out what Jesus is trying to say, is he talking about nitpicking people? Is he talking about discernment? Or is he talking about judging the guilt or the innocence of someone else? It, it, which is it? Because it matters. You see, this is, a, this is a pretty complicated issue. And what I want to do is try to read together and see if we can figure it out. So we're going to be reading Matthew 7, 1 through 6. If you are able, I want to invite you to stand as we read Matthew 7, 1 through 6. We'll stop before we do and, uh, and say a few words of prayer. Father, we thank you for the way you love us and um, you call us to treat people well. Um, so as we come to this text, I pray for wisdom and discernment to understand it well. Yeah, may your spirit give us that. We pray this in Jesus' name and all the church said, amen. Beginning in the first verse, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not trample, or excuse me, do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. What's important to remember uh, in this text is this is how Jesus is teaching his disciples to treat people. And over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has compared the lives of the Pharisees to the way he would have his followers live. And that criticism is, is really holds true today. You see, the Pharisees were self-righteous critics of others. They believed they were better than others because they followed the law. Do you remember that Jesus had uh, in the Gospel of Luke a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? Do you remember this parable? It goes something like this, Luke 18, 9 through 14. He also told them this parable, or he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Here's the point. The Pharisee is judging the tax collector. He is being critical and acting as this tax collector's judge. He has found a way to elevate himself and to pick apart this tax collector's sins. And the Pharisee believes that he is a better man. And the point Jesus is trying to make is, it is so much better for you to have a faith that's like the tax collector, where you beat your breast and you say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, than to ever believe that you are spiritually entitled or spiritually better than someone else. And I want to suggest to you that what Jesus means to prohibit here when he says, judge not lest ye be judged, is a hypocritical, condemning spirit. A hypocritical, condemning spirit. It's finding fault in others and putting yourself in the seat as judge. It's having a critical spirit where you get to critique everyone else. I wonder, um, do you struggle with this? Because oftentimes this is the sin of people who have been in the church for a long time. Right? We, we, we learn what is right. We learn what is wrong. We see people with tattoos. We see people who, who have sins. And we become a little hypocritical, a little judgmental. There's a story that goes of a bachelor who could never bring home a woman who his mother did not criticize. Y'all, any of y'all familiar with that? Every woman he brought home to his mother, his mother found that there was something wrong with her. So a friend of this guy said, you, you know what you need to do, buddy? You, you need to find someone that's just like your mom, right? If you bring home someone just like her, certainly she cannot criticize her. So, so the man went out and he searched far and wide and, and he eventually found a woman who was just like his mom. Uh, she spoke like his mom. She walked like his mom. She even looked like his mom. So basically, it was his mom's clone. And so he took her home. And, and the next time he sees his friend, his friend said, how did it go? Did, did your mom like this woman? And, and, and he said, well, well, mom loved her, but dad couldn't stand her. <laughs> you know, I, I implore you, friends, uh, to avoid a critical and condemning spirit. You know, those, those kind of people we talked about who pound their chest knowing that they need the mercy of Jesus, they, those people seldom have time to focus on the flaws of others. Read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 7 with me. This is what it says. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. So pay attention with me here. The way that you judge others will have an effect on how you are judged. And the question often asked when people hear that is they go, okay, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about um, judging other people 
and then you're critical, and then those other people become critical of you. So, so the way in which you judge others will affect the way that they judge you? Or are we saying that the way that you judge others will affect the way that God judges you? And what I want to suggest to you is that you can find truth in both of those ideas. If you are critical to other people, if you're a critical person, when you mess up, you can, you can be sure that they're going to be critical of you. Well, they say love covers a multitude of sins. If you're a loving person and you make a mistake, people are going to go like, oh, but, but it's Bill. We love him, you know. But if you're a critical person and you make a mistake, watch out. But what I think Jesus means to suggest here is that, that when you have a critical spirit of others, it sets the tone for your final judgment as you stand before the throne of Jesus. Look what Paul writes in Romans 2.1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. The idea is... Um, the way you judge others and, and measure, measure others will set the tone for how you will be judged and measured. If you say to yourself, like, like, I know enough to judge this person, then you've proved that you know enough to have known better. And you yourself will be judged without that same kind of grace you extend. And then the next thing we get in this section is we get this really, if we think about it, it's a really silly illustration from Jesus. It's, it's a silly illustration. Look at verses 3 and 4. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, here, here let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? So in the illustration... Um, the speck that you notice in your neighbor's eye, it's, it's what? It's, it's sin. I mean, that's really what this is about, right? In, in the illustration, the speck that you notice in someone else's eye, so it's like you're going like, hey, I see something wrong with you. You spot, you spot a sin in your brother. And because you have such a critical spirit and such a gifting for spotting sin, you approach your brother and you say, man, I've really noticed how you messed up the other day. I, I've heard, I heard you talking and what you said was wrong. But the comical way that Jesus tells the story is that you yourself have this telephone pulse like coming out of your eye. It's, it's popping out of your eye. And you say, here, let me help you with that splinter. And, and, and it's not just that if you have a log coming out of your eye that, you, that, that you're having trouble seeing. It's that you're blind. If you've got a giant telephone pole coming out your eye, you can't see it all. And I can tell you now that most often... The, the log that's in your eye, it's a sin also, but it's generally that critical spirit. It's the sin of self-righteousness. It's criticism. That log comes out of your eye. It's, it's criticism without empathy and without love. It's the same thing as the Pharisee praying alone, believing that he is better than everyone else. You know, it would be a sad story, this story would be, if, if at the end... Both men were left with wood in their eye. It, it, wouldn't it be a sad story if both men were left in sin and neither one of them could see clearly to help the other? But if you pay attention, that is not how the story ends. Verse 5. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. 
And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What does this mean? Do you, do you, are we called to deal with all of our sins in our life first before we help our brothers with their sin? Can you only go to someone else once you have become a master over sin, once you have no more sin left in your life? I mean, I think you know that's silly. That would be exactly the phrase of the, of the, the mindset of the Pharisee is, I've now mastered sin, now I'm here to help you. That, that, that's not the way. But we are always fighting our sin, but you will never be without your sin nature. It will kind of always be who you are in a bit. But, but, but Christians are in this in-between where we're committed to the effort to stop sinning, to, to the battle, to the war, to the fight to stop sinning. But yet we know we're sinners. So what does it mean to take the log out of your own eyes so that you can see clearly You have to, to deal first with your self-righteousness. I think that's what it means. You have to deal with the self-righteousness that says, I'm better than my brother who has this splinter in his eye. I think that's the log that keeps blinding us. The, the key to all this is the Beatitudes. Remember the Beatitudes? And, and Jesus was saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. In other words, that, that are not self-righteous. To be poor in spirit is to not be self-righteous. It's to realize I don't have any righteousness of my own. I'm poor in spirit. In Jesus in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the meek who hunger for righteousness. We understand what meekness is. This is what is needed to help a brother who is in sin. A meekness, a humbleness. But we don't, we don't just leave that brother in sin. That's not the end of the story. It's like, don't judge someone with a splinter in their eye. That's, that's not where the story ends. That wouldn't be loving to leave him with a splinter in his eye. But in order to help, you have to get rid of your self-righteousness. And that only happens by confessing your sin and by repenting of it until you found that you are empathetic to what it feels like to have something in your eye. And then you come to your brother and you attempt to help restore him, not to shame him. You don't come to him to put him down you come to him to lift him up in humility with a meek and a gentle spirit, hoping to restore him. Now, the words Jesus is using here in this story is, he says, when you notice it's in your brother's eye, you, you, you turn to your brother and you humbly help him. It's assuming this familiar or this family connection. All of us are, are kind of adopted in Christ. And because we have that shared connection, we have a shared value structure. We, we can talk about the things of the Bible and we agree to them. I can come to you and say, man, um, you're really sinful because of X or Y. And you can under, we both understand the definition of what we know sin is as, as, as defined in Scripture. You're part of a family that has shared values. So this is where I'm going, okay? And this is what's going to be interesting here. Not everyone is part of that family. You understand that? Not, not everyone is a Christian. Not everyone shares in that family. Like we, he's talking about our brother here. Not everyone's a Christian brother. And this is where this verse gets confusing for some folks. You might think that, uh, that under no circumstance should a Christian judge another person. And, and what, what, again, I think we have to say is what do you mean by judge? If you mean that, that you climb into the judgment seat of Jesus and you start determining who is guilty, in that case, Christians should not judge. 
Don't do that. If you, if you mean uh, determining someone who wronged you is guilty and that you get to take vengeance upon you, in that case, no, Christians should not judge. If you mean being critical and nitpicky about people from the point of arrogance, well then no, Christians should not judge. But jump down to verse 6 with me. This is very interesting. This is a very interesting verse. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. In this illustration, dogs and pigs are dirty creatures. You understand that, right? They're, in this illustration, I love a good dog, right? You guys know me. I love my dogs. Like, I bring them with me everywhere, but don't miss the forest for the trees here. you got to understand, in this illustration, dogs and pigs are filthy and dangerous creatures. Imagine a wild pack of rabid dogs who would lurk around the garbage dumps of Jerusalem. These are not domesticated pets. These are aggressive, wicked, unclean animals. And what Jesus says is don't give what is holy to these dogs. Some commentators will say that what Jesus is talking about here is, um, is a, the portion of the sacrifice that was brought to the temple that was meant to be the Lord. So like if you, if you brought a, a sacrifice to the temple, you would give a, a portion of the meat to the priest and the priest would keep that for his meal. And you would take a portion of that sacrifice back home with you to feed your family or whatever. And then a portion of that sacrifice would belong to the Lord and would be burned up, right? And, and that, would, that would be called the Lord's portion, the holy portion. And, and some commentators will say that, that what they're talking about here is you would never take the Lord's portion of the sacrificed meat of this, this holy thing and give it to the dogs, right? And the second part of the illustration is about pigs. It's kind of similar. The idea it was that you would not take priceless pearls, like, you know, that you, could, you didn't have the money even to pay for. And the idea is that you would take these priceless pearls and you would throw them out for the pigs to eat. And what would happen is they would realize that the, they'd come up and they'd sniff on them. They'd realize these pearls aren't food. And then they would turn around and they would attack you. But what does this illustration mean, though? I mean, what's the point? It's kind of confusing. So let me take a stab at it for you, okay? The holy things that we would throw the dogs and the pearls, that we would throw the pigs in this story, that is the word of God and the gospel. It's the logic of the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's that familiar family stuff that we talked about, that we share with our brothers, right? It's, it's, it's the revelation of God. The dogs and the pigs are in this story unbelievers who cannot appreciate God's word any more than a pig can appreciate fine pearls. Do you understand the illustration? In the illustration, the dogs and pigs are unbelievers who cannot appreciate God's word any more than a pig can appreciate fine pearls or a dog can appreciate the holy part of the meat that's been set aside for God. And the logic works kind of like this. For the way you judge others, you will be judged. If you see a brother who's got a 
who's in the family, adopted family of God with you, who's got a splinter in his eye, go and take the the log of self-righteousness out of your own eye first, but then go to your brother and help him get that splinter out of your eye. But don't throw the word of God at people who cannot appreciate it. Do you understand that? Don't think you're going to humbly try to correct the sins of dogs and pigs and they're going to thank you for it. Does that begin to make sense, how these two verses work together and what this illustration means? Now, here's the big question, and this is a very important question. How do you determine who is a dog and who is a pig? Well, you're going to have to judge. Isn't that ironic? How do you like them apples? This passage passage actually calls for judgment. It's not like an arrogant, critical judgment, right? You're not being arrogant. You're not being critical. But it's a judgment that discerns, you have to discern who values the word of God. And thus would honor your attempt to humbly help get that splinter out of their eye. In Matthew 7, 17, it's just a few, few verses later. We'll probably get to it next week. It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. How can you tell if someone is a wolf in sheep's clothing? You have to judge. You need discernment. You refrain from from throwing your pearls to swine. Let's let's find a place where we can close up this section. Here's what we can say. If you have a critical spirit that leads you to be the kind of person that's always finding splinters in others, I think you need to be very careful. Because the way that you judge others, you will be judged. Not just by your friends, but by the Lord. So if you want to be harsh, and you want to be ungracious, and you want to be legalistic, and you want to be uncharitable, I don't think you should do that. But this verse does not mean that we leave our brothers with splinters in their eyes. We find a way to work out our sin, specifically our self-righteousness. And then once we've dealt with that, we humbly and meekly go and help our brother be restored by lifting him back up. And we exercise judgment to know who are like the dogs and the pigs in our story and simply would not value the word of God if we brought it. So I pray that you will be charitable to all people, choosing instead to be like the tax collector in our story who beats his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And from that position, you will be rightly uh, positioned to help your brother with the splinter that's in his eye. Uh, Church, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the teaching of Jesus that we approach today. I pray uh, that your spirit will help us as we seek to live it out, seek to understand it. God, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our critical spirits where we judge others around us. Um, God, I know it's my nature to, to pick and find fault and to, um, uh, to find places where, where, where people uh, maybe aren't as gifted or, or, or maybe people have idiosyncrasies and to share those with others, God. And, and, and I repent and I, and I pray that that same um, kind of conviction would follow me 
and wouldn't just leave here at, at the pulpit today. Uh, and I, I pray the same thing for my friends, Lord, and uh, that you would give us uh, a heart that is not critical of others. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all the church said, Amen. Amen.